Welcome to Sivako Road to Avatar. My name is Sean Alexander and I'll be your guide to the world of Pandora and beyond. To support this show, head on over to www.patreon.com avatarpod where you can become a patron and gain access to exclusive content. Joining me today, I have a very special guest. Special guest, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, hello. Thank you for having me. Uh, I am Derek McDuff, a fellow podcaster and freelance film critic. It's a pleasure to have you on, Derek. And yeah, it's a very exciting time of the year now we're getting up to, which is uh, um, which is going to be our main topic for today. But before that, I will ask you a few little questions to do with the topic of the show, as always, Avatar. So for yourself, when was the first time you saw Avatar? So I, the first one, I was actually working in a movie theater. Um, I was in college. Um, yeah, I would have been in college at the time. And uh, yeah, I, I saw it a couple times in the theaters. Um, and for the second one, I saw it opening weekend. Nice. Very good. So do you remember sort of like the craze of it, them working <laughs> at a theater at the time? Oh yeah, it was, it was nuts. It was wild. And we were at a relatively small theater, um, at least for you know, um, cause I'm Southern California here and, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's not like one of these most theaters here, are like 20, 30 screens. We were just like a little six screen theater, but Avatar still played for like weeks and weeks and weeks. Like it had those crazy legs. Um, and like, I think we had it all the way till, you know, February or maybe even March, which is, was unheard of. Like we never had movies more than a month and yeah, just people kept coming and coming and, you know, there was, we had it on, I think at one point when it first opened, we had it on three screens. So half of our theater was just devoted solely to Avatar. It's crazy. Honestly, I, I obviously I've got memories of, of it, but to me, it still feels unreal to think of how it was so impactful at the time to be like, just taking over like screens entirely for, for literally months on end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was just like, yeah. And especially since... You know, other than award stuff, there's nothing else. that, And it's the same thing we're seeing this year again. You know, it's like people aren't, you know, it's still doing so well. And because people aren't going to go out and rush to see Plane or Meg 3 in or whatever, you know. So it's it's really still dominating screens, I feel like. Mm. So have you got a favorite moment from either of the films? You know, that's that's a good question. Uh, I, I was thinking about that a little bit. And I think that the the moments um, I don't know if it's one moment, but it's it's the whole the arc um, of uh, when I, I'm forgive me I, I'm spacing on the characters' names, but um, uh, Jake Sully's son and I'm gonna maybe mispronounce this Tulkun the whale. Um, their kind of like friendship, their bond, especially when they're first meeting, and like he kind of like is talking to him. That that he's my favorite character, too cool. Like I was just so enamored with that. I I thought all of that was really awesome. Um, and then also when he just like pops that Australian dude's arm off, I thought that was incredible. That was I was just like clapping in the theater. I was like, this is so cool. Yeah, I I remember I I just tweeted about it yesterday, being like, because <laughs> someone was saying, oh, if there was an Oscar cheer moment of the year, <laughs> that for me that was the moment because I was I remember. St- as soon as that happened, I knew what was coming, and my body was just like ready to shout out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was great. It's it's like an oddly satisfying thing because it's 
because it is that revenge and Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's crazy to think as well like we've grown to love uh payakan the uh, the tycoon and Mm. and yeah but he's only given dialogue through yeah like uh through words on the screen but he feels as fleshed out of a character as a lot of the other ones do in the film yeah and i think that's a real strength of specifically the sequel um is that the characters in this one feel just really deep and interesting and i've and i gotta give a lot of credit to uh and i'm sure you've talked about this but rick Jaffa and amanda silver who were of course um anybody who's not aware they were the writers who were brought on to uh kind of touch up the film a little bit um that is one thing i you know i don't want to criticize avatar one too much but i think that was one thing that was maybe lacking from the first one is the characters felt a little um you know a little more archetypal um but in this one i really connected to a lot of the characters to the point where yeah there is this whale where you're not really hearing any dialogue or him but the bond that he forms with this other character is so deep and real and bringing in those writers who of course had worked on the Planet of the Apes trilogy, so they had a lot of experience working in this kind of motion capture medium with these characters that a lot of the apes uh, don't speak a lot. A lot of them use sign language and stuff like that. So I think that was a very, very smart move to have them kind of be the other two heads of, uh, along with James Cameron in this kind of writer's room for all the sequels. Yeah, I I was so impressed, and you can really tell. You know, I see a, like at that through line between those Planet of the Apes films and the latest Avatar. I think it's quite clear to see why they were brought in as well. Like it feels almost like a template of how you can empathize with non-human characters. Oh yeah, definitely. Because yeah, Caesar is such an interesting character. Um, and a big part of that is just you know Andy Serkis's performance, but it's all he's they're also really uh, well written characters, um, especially since uh, Jaff and Silver worked with different directors. They worked with um, you know Matt Reeves in the sequels. I forget off of that. I wish I could remember uh, who did the first one, but yeah, those were characters that were created under one writer, and then they had to redo them under a com- or a one director and redo them in a completely different director. But there is still this solid arc that caesar and a lot of the other surrounding characters go through and as the apes trilogies go go on the humans go from more sympathetic to by the end of it kind of completely unsympathetic for the most part there's exceptions but yeah and the apes just become more and more interesting as it goes along yeah so we are going to go on to our topic of the day which is the oscar nominations which have just come out and we're specifically going to focus on Avatar, but we are going to speak about them in a general sense as well. Talk about the exciting ones, maybe from some snubs as well. So to begin with, yeah, Avatar The Way of Water got four nominations. So uh, do you remember exactly which ones it was nominated in? So let's see, it got Best Picture, um, it got uh, Visual Effects, and uh, okay, you might have to help me out with the other two. I believe it was for best visual effect. Oh, you said visual effects, didn't you? Uh, it, production design and sound. Okay, oh, yeah, because yeah, I have it pulled up in front of me. I'm just like scrolling. Okay, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that that all that all makes sense. So I think let's let's start with one of the sm- uh, a couple of the smaller categories first. So I think things like best sound. I think it's 
done really well to get into a category like that because obviously there's actually a lot of music based sort of films this year that have been quite successful uh i know it's in the same category as elvis mm-hmm. and i know that's the sound on that was fantastic as and as well top gun maverick which i feel like it's competing with almost head to head in a lot of these categories I, yeah i was gonna say any other year i feel like like this like avatar 2 would just walk away with so many technical awards but i think top gun maverick is really gonna be and i think that's also why it maybe didn't get nominated in more technical categories because this year was really strong for a lot of these big um blockbuster on the big screen films and which isn't a total coincidence because this is the year when cinemas have quote unquote started to come back and you're starting they have held like tom cruise and whoever else have held these films like Top Gun and in this case Avatar and everything else because they wanted to, to get this big theatrical release. So now they're all kind of competing in the same space. Yeah. And it's really interesting to see as well that that sort of discussion of being like, I think this is the year where the nominees for like Best Picture are the are like the most successful financially ever. And yeah, that's yeah, a big exactly. part to do with Avatar and Top Gun being there. You know, that's mm. that's three and a half billion in, in itself. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, definitely. And yeah, there's even some other ones like uh I mean it's a more it's a more of a mid budget film, but even like everything everywhere all at once was a huge for its especially for its budget, a huge box office success. Yeah, definitely. So uh, one of the other categories that Avatar is nominated in is for Best Production Design. And I think this is going to be such an interesting one to see because obviously people associate Avatar with its visuals so much that I think the idea of production design in it almost seems redundant in a way. And obviously it's not. You know, we've seen like behind the scenes videos of how much detail is put into things like their costumes or uh, things that they're interacting with in that space that are then like put into the actual visual effects in the end and i think yeah i I feel like it's probably gonna get overlooked in that category more than likely because we've got things like all quiet on the western front and elvis and babylon and the fablemans which obviously very like your prestige drama sort of ones yeah it's a lot of like you know especially with like babylon it's like ah the old old hollywood and you know all quiet and western like there are a lot of historical all, all, all the other ones are all historical films. Um, so I think that the Academy does lean a little bit that way. Uh, maybe not as in much as production design as something like makeup, which always kind of uh, those uh, always kind of take the more historical route over something more fantastical. Um, but it's also one of the few categories where it's not nominated alongside Top Gun and that might help. Um, so yeah, the, these technical ones are always tough. There's, Actually, no Marvel films or no superhero films at all in this category this year. Um, the Batman's in a lot of these same categories, too. So, uh, you know, I'm not sure if that gives it a leg up or, or not on this one. Yeah, it's it's hard to say because obviously being the only sort of big blockbuster. I say that Elvis was actually a really huge financial success as well. Yeah. It was basically a blockbuster in itself. But yeah, Avatar being the big dog in that sort of category makes it kind of an interesting competition uh but i think you're right the sort of yeah like the historic dramas that yeah like things like babylon offer and i i saw babylon yesterday and the production design on it is incredible so i'm not surprised it got nominated honestly 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's because I love Damien Chazelle, and he is always. I haven't got a chance to see Babylonian. There's only of the best picture ones that and um, uh, uh, Triangle of Sadness are the only ones I haven't got a chance to see yet. But I, I mean, he always has such you know first man and even something smaller like Whiplash. He always brings the technical aspects to it, and I think that Hollywood does reward or the Oscars do, do reward past success. Um, so I think that might give it another leg up. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, let's look at best visual effects next, which I feel like is gonna be it's gonna be such an interesting one because again, it comes to that competition with Top Gun Maverick. Uh, but here we've also got the Batman and Black Panther come forever and All Quiet on the Western Front. Now, obviously, Avatar's probably in terms of like what it's doing with its visual effects is doing the most i don't think that's hard to deny is it yeah well it's it's interesting because it's 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 very much especially when you're talking about top gun and avatar it's very much apples and oranges because they are both incredible visual feats um but done so differently like avatar is all about kind of pushing this technology forward and it's obviously you know, done practically to an extent because they are actually doing all these diving and all that stuff. But, you know, it's all mo-capped and it's all, uh, the worlds are all kind of digitally created where Top Gun is all about, let's do everything like in camera, like actually have Tom Cruise in a plane and and see that and have like these planes doing these actual aerial stunts. So it is so different that it's, it's really difficult to compare them. And then you've got, you know, stuff like, Black Panther and uh, the Batman, which are kind of a little bit more in between those those two extremes. Like Batman might be a little bit more gritty, but they're like in realistic, but they're still doing a lot of digital stuff. And and same with Black Black Panther. But yeah, it, it I, it's really tough to just kind of to parse these two um, styles uh, because I mean I have such such respect for for both things that both of these films are doing, um, and they are two of the reasons why you know theaters are kind of back this year and people wanted to go because i saw both these films in theaters and it was such an experience both times yeah and to me i feel like i've this is the first time for a while where i've seen films multiple times in the cinema and i did it for Mm -hmm. top gun and i did it for avatar and they're both one of those things where i feel like you want to be sat in a cinema immersed into it so deeply that you you're only focusing on the film and i feel like yeah they offer that more than any other film has recently yeah definitely like the only other movie that i can think of that i that came out this year that really had that same big theatrical experience and unfortunately didn't get to see it in the theater was rrr and that's one maybe criticism you could levy against that film is that the visual effects while impressive are not like award quality whereas these two really are yeah, for sure. Uh, RRR is incredible. Yes. <laughs> I would highly recommend it. And I don't know if you caught it on Twitter, but the video had been going round of uh, James Cameron speaking to the director of RRR. So, no, I didn't catch that. Oh, it's incredible. It, he's literally, it's a, like a three minute video of, of James Cameron just like, just gushing about how much he loved the film. <laughs> That's really cool. That's really cool. I love when, you know, directors and actors have respect for each other. Yeah, and I feel like we get a lot of that, especially this award season. I feel like we've got like a lot of fun storylines going on this year, uh, which mm-hmm. we'll come to in a bit. I think there's like some of my favorite sort of storylines going on this year about it. Uh, 
Yeah, like little sidebar. There was this like there was some kind of thing where like it's all the you know the actors from all the you know it was before this was announced, but like all the actors and actresses from all the like big stuff who were getting all the nominations, and it was uh, Brendan uh, Fraser and um, uh, uh, Kihu Kwan, and they were talking, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we've they they like he was complimenting him on the whale, and he's like, oh yeah, we've known each other because we were in this movie in the '90s called Encino Man.' I'm like, oh my god, they were in Encino Man together." Yeah, like I've I've seen Encino Man, and yeah. I had forgotten. Yeah, that they were both in that in a way, and I was like, man, this it's so crazy how it circles back around in in way unexpected ways. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so we're gonna get on to the to the main category, which is best picture, and here it Avatar is joined by a lot of the films we've mentioned already before, so the likes of All Quiet on the Western Front, Elvis. Uh, Top Gun Maverick, but also has the likes of The Banshees of Inshirin, Everything Everywhere All at Once, which seems like it's the front runner at this point, I believe, uh, and things like The Fableman's Tar, Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking. So, what what's the sort of like likelihood of something like Avatar winning this category? Because I feel like it's obviously been nominated for Best Picture, but what are the chances looking like for it winning? Yeah, so this is this is one where I think that there was basically and this year um I should mention for anybody who's listening um who was wondering about the awards uh process this year uh because in the past obviously for most of the academy's history there was five Oscar nominees and then they made the switch to 10 uh and there was I think it was just one year where there was 10 nominees and then for the past 10 or so years uh, there was between five and ten nominees, so that's why recently, most years, uh, you would see between like around seven, eight, or nine, uh, not maybe just eight or nine nominees. Uh, this year, though, they did make that switch back to no, it's a required ten, uh, which I think was a really good thing because it meant that we got to nominate a lot of really great films, some things that maybe would not have gotten nominated, would not have gotten the attention, something like a Triangle of Sadness. Um, that you know people have maybe had on the radar but haven't gotten around to watching yet. Uh, but that does also mean that there are a lot of Oscar these a lot of these best picture noms that it's kind of a courtesy nom. I think really realistically, it is a two or three n- nominee race. Uh, and basically, I think like you said, everything everywhere all at once is probably the front runner i think that it is razor thin between that and banshees of nasharan uh and then i think that the fablemans is is in third right behind them it's on the podium but it's not quite there um may it might have a shot because i think of the way that the oscars does this as a ranked voting thing that it could get a lot of number twos like people could kind of split between um their number ones between everything everywhere and banshees and a lot of people put Fableman's at two, which could kind of put it up to that number one. And then I think Tar maybe has an outside shot. It could surge late. A lot of critics are really liking Tar. But beyond that, I don't think any of the the big, uh, like the big budget uh, popcorn movies, a.k.a. Uh, Top Gun and, you know, specifically what this podcast is talking about, The Way of Water, uh, have really a shot in this category. Yeah, but in the end, something like a Best Picture nomination 
it's it's still an incredible achievement. You know, you're saying mm-hmm. this is one of the ten best films of the year, and there's a lot of films here which have you know there's films here that haven't made it into that best picture category, which I think people may be surprised about. Is there any like particular ones that you felt were overlooked for the, this category? Well, I mean, it doesn't really match my my personal top ten. Um, there's a lot of movies that I had on my top ten list that would never get nominated. Um, uh, not because you know I don't think they weren't respected, but it's just they're they're not going to get in. Um, films like uh, the Batman, I was a really big fan of the Menu, um, Ambulance, uh, Michael Bay's Ambulance, which is his best film maybe ever. Um, there are some ones uh, that I do think were. Nope was always a long shot to get nominated, um, but there was a little bit of talk about maybe Nope slipping into that, especially since it was 10. But I think the big one, at least for me, that got snubbed here and snubbed across the board, zero nominations for a decision to leave, which was also in my top 10 movies of the year. And it got blanked. It didn't even get nominated for best international film, which I think is a, a really a shame. Yeah, I think I remember sort of reading about it and people saying, yeah, that was the biggest sort of upset, especially in the international film category where it seemed like a, a almost a front runner at times to be to win it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was, you know, I was kind of at the end I was kind of like like okay, they're probably going to na- nominate All Quiet on the Western Front into the best picture and I was like, does that mean they don't have two spaces for something international? But I was like well, Parrot, like, I think there is a growing um, appreciation for South Korean films. You know, with, you had Parasite uh, when a couple of years back. You have stuff like um, Squid Game getting a lot of popularity. Park Chan-wook is a very popular director. You know, he did films like uh, Old Boy. Um, so people do really appreciate his stuff. So it's it's kind of a shame. Um decision to leave was was a very it's very hitchcockian uh so uh yeah i I wish more people could have seen this one and and it could have been nominated yeah it it would have been nice to have seen something like that i think Mm -hmm. yeah especially with the likes of parasite recently it's shown that popularity of south korean cinema is, is growing and i think especially over in the states it's becoming a little bit more mainstream yeah definitely it is something that i think um and just like for whatever reason korean culture is just really big in the states now you know k-pop is such a huge thing over i don't know how it is um over over with you guys but k-pop is huge here yeah it is it is popular <laughs> here as well okay um so one category which i think maybe people were the most surprised didn't see a nomination for Avatar and was perhaps best director for James Cameron. And this is always a hard one to say. Now, I mm. I've thought about this recently and I think the fact that it's moved from, you know, a between five to ten film range of best picture films to a solid ten almost makes it harder for that best director category. Because it's always going to be five from <laughs> from those films, yeah. and it just means five are going to miss out. Yeah, like usually you can look at um, you know best director and be like, okay, this is going to pretty much tell you what the real, not the quote unquote, you know, the ones with the actual chance of winning uh, best picture are because they all they do line up a lot. Especially they tend to give the best director uh, winner also the best picture winner. Um, quite a bit obviously in this case 
five for five, all the uh, directing noms are also um, best picture noms. Um, I think that the, there was four of these that were a lock Banshees uh, with Martin McDonough, who by the way is one of my favorite directors. Uh, then the Daniels for everything everywhere. Um, Todd field uh, for tar. Uh, like I said, those all, we got a lot of love. And then of course, Steven Spielberg, doing the Fablemans, his passion project about his childhood. I think those four, you were going to get nominated no matter what. But that did leave like, okay, people are wondering, what's this last spot going to be? The last two years, we've had women uh, directors for the first, I think for the first time ever, uh, win uh, Best Director. um, And that happened twice in a row. So a lot of people, I think, thought that there would be a a woman director getting into that fifth spot. You know, somebody... um, like for women talking um oh my gosh i'm, I'm spacing on her name let me uh, uh sarah polly uh for women talking um but yeah a lot of people did think that james cameron you know him james cameron especially since you know he he has gotten it so many times before he always he is a very much this kind of auteur guy that we are seeing less and less of um you know, I think that the auteurs as like a filmmaker presence is kind of disappearing. And there's maybe two guys, I think maybe just Nolan and um, and Cameron, who are really the only guys who are like directors who can just open a film and you know that it's just going to make just like hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, I know Tenet didn't make that much money, but that was in deep pandemic. Um, but I think really we are losing that kind of, guy who is like here's the guy he's putting out a movie this is his vision because fablemans did not do very well um and it's you know not a big popcorn movie like this so i think people are disappointed that cameron isn't getting that awards recognition when he is one of the few guys we have left like this yeah it's definitely like it feels like he's part of that yeah older old guard in a way Mm -hmm. of you know, I think especially for his '90s work, he feels like he's one of those directors that people still rely on to be like, I I could just go see whatever he's made, and I know that I'm going to have a solid at least a seven out of ten, and it's probably going to be a higher, a lot higher than that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and I think yeah, like as we were saying, like best director is just a really hard category nowadays because it is filled with those front runners first and foremost, and then it's always sort of like the there's an extra one like basically an extra gap and everyone has to compete for it yeah yeah there's there's yeah a lot of these categories there's like you know okay we all know the locks and then like the the four and the five spot or maybe just like here what the just the five spot you're not sure what's gonna slip in yeah um is there any other categories that you felt like avatar might have had a chance in but just uh just missed out yeah you know like i was saying i think another year this would have done a lot better. Uh, another year that wasn't so like movies are back because obviously with 2020 and 2021, we didn't have a lot of these other than like a couple Marvel things, just these big production design type things. And now they're all, they're all kind of like jammed together. So I think if this movie, you know, had come out in a quote unquote normal year, it, it would have uh, racked up quite a few more uh, nominations. Um, you know, like it did get some of the o- more obvious technical awards, uh, but I think that uh, in another year it might have won- uh, got nominated for something like um, let me just kind of scroll something like editing. I think it could have taken home. Editing is always a really weird one. 
um, because it ends up going to movies that have noticeable editing, which is not a good thing. Uh, but I think that the editing in this movie was really strong, especially considering how well it flowed for a three plus hour movie. I think you've really got to have some solid editing uh, to have that. And the fact that it kind of got snubbed in, in that design uh, in that category uh, is kind of a shame. I think even something like costume design, I, I would have liked to have seen it get nominated for because they are making a completely unique world. And, you know, they, you have the costume design from the first one, but now they're going to a completely new place. They're going to, you know, the, this coastal area where all of the looks and designs are unique. You also have the costumes for, you know, the military and, you know, just the, even something like the gas masks, like all of that stuff is really interesting and unique. And I think it could have grabbed a nomination there too. Yeah, and I think one other one is uh, talk of like adapted screenplay. Now, obviously, there's a few in there which are sequels. We've got Glass Onion as well as Top Gun Maverick, and it shows that that category is open to having sequels in there, but obviously uh, this time missed out. Yeah, interesting. Like I was looking over the screenplay noms, and usually most years I feel like um, uh, the adapted screenplay is the stronger category and uh original is kind of the the one that's a little bit more up for grabs but this year i think that it kind of flipped where a lot of the like all of the three best picture front runners uh, or all four if you count tar are in writing as is triangle of sadness so yeah it's, a, it's the same exact list of the best directors and then yeah with writing with the adapted it was a bit of a weaker category you had you know, uh, I mean, still movies that I liked a lot, but Glass Onion and and Top Gun, um, and then even something like Living, which is uh, I think a movie that not very many people are even that familiar with. Um, so yeah, like you said, sequels are a little more open. You had Glass Onion uh, with Rick Jaffin and Amanda Silver's screenplay. Uh, I think maybe because you know that's not typically seen as the strength of Avatar. Um, especially the first one um, that you know the, of its script, that might be why people it didn't get the nomination here. I um, I don't know what you would take out here because I I mean I liked I liked All Quiet on the Western Front, but yeah, it, it didn't have the I don't want to say the strength of that was necessarily its screenplay. Women talking is obviously all screenplay because that movie like it's in the name. It's all just women talking to each other. Um, so I think you got to keep that one. But yeah, Top Gun Maverick didn't have a strong screenplay either, I think. Um, so you could have easily swapped that one out. There's one other thing I want to discuss, which is obviously we're at a stage now where we're seeing more and more um, characters, characters and actors taking on these roles, which are uh, based on visual effects. So they are yeah being CGI'd. So for example, the likes of Zoe Saldana and, and Sam Worthington, you know they're playing the character, but they are CGI the entire time. Mm-hmm. Now, in previous years, we've, there's always been talk of the likes of Andy Circus getting nominated. Do you think at any point we will see a, a character, uh, like an actor, be nominated for a mocap performance? I think at some point, and I am definitely of that contingency that was really pushing for uh, Andy Circus to get his his nomination. 
um, specifically for the Apes movies. I think that his performance as Caesar is incredible, as is, of course, so many of it, like him as Gollum, so, so good. Um, I think that, you know, there was... I, I, I think that Saldana could have gotten nominated for the first one. I don't think she has as much to do here. Um, Kate Winslet is really incredible in this, so is Cliff Curtis, giving these mocap performances. I think that they could have maybe uh, snuck in for... A supporting actor uh, i just i just i don't think it's going to happen necessarily soon uh but i do think that that is going to be the way that we are going is where we are going to get these no cap performances because people do are starting to realize that yeah these are their actual emotions and performances that are going up on the screen even if they are digitally painted over it's still them doing the acting yeah, and I think a lot of the behind-the-scenes footage that we see, where we see how closely the performance matches to what we see on the screen, I think that's proving to people that, yeah, they, this is the actor's performance. Even though there is a layer of CGI over the top, this is them. You know, they are they fully embodying those characters, and, and that's who we're seeing on the screen. They are bringing them to life. Yeah, definitely. And I even want to shout out, like, like Stephen Lang, his, he is so good in this. Like, I think he's phenomenal and unlike the first one where he is just himself he is almost entirely except for one scene doing mocap and he's so like that scene where he crushes his own skull so brilliant and cinematic and he just plays it so well i think he's such an interesting conflicted character and that's not the type of role that the academy typically rewards even in non-mocap performances um but i would really like to see more stuff like that get in so there are some really fun like things happening this year in the oscars in terms of like people's stories and how yeah like how it's all playing out so is there any particular ones that jump out to you i mean i think the one i am most interested in is probably the uh the race for uh best actor and it's really probably going to come down to um uh brendan fraser and um Colin Farrell, who I am a really big fan of both of theirs. Um, no, none of the nominees had been nominated before, neither them nor the other three uh, actors, I believe. Um, so I really, I'm, I haven't seen the whale yet. Um, uh, I am, I would be very happy if uh, Frazier won, um, but I am kind of pulling for Colin Farrell. He has consistently been one of the best actors in Hollywood. He's been in a film every year since the year 2000. At least one. He was in four absolutely incredible films this year. He gave four very different and very phenomenal performances in After Yang, um, 13 Lives, The Batman, obviously, and then uh, what he was nominated for, uh, which is um, The Banshees of Inisherin. So I, I'm really curious about that. Um, I think that also uh, another acting category that is Best Supporting Actress. Um, Angela Bassett is nominated and I think she is the front runner for Black Panther Wakanda Forever. And that would be, I believe, the first major award for a Marvel movie. Um, they've won uh, some technical things before, I think, but nothing, um, you know, uh, of the big five, you know, the the screenplays, uh, the actors and director and picture. So it's really, really cool to see um, the recognition for that kind of role be uh, be recognized. Yeah, I especially like I I am loving this best actor race. I think it is super interesting, and I think you're right. It is very much between Colin Farrell and Brendan Fraser. But I'm 
every so often I see Austin Butler's sort of name sneak back up, be like, I think he won at the Golden Globes. And mm. every so often I'm like, man, if, if he won for Elvis, I wouldn't mind it. Honestly, he's really good. He is he is phenomenal. Elvis is a film that I did not enjoy, but I really dug his performance in it. I thought he was really good. Um, you know, he's he uh, he's got that you know that voice, and he's like he can't. He's like now he's on press tours. He's like I don't even know where I end and it begins. I think he it's it's probably a two person race, but kind of like the Fablemans being that third contender in Best Picture, he is kind of that third contender here. Also, uh, speaking of which, I also want to say Ana de Armas, who I'm a really big fan of. May, was in one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I don't usually like to throw movies under the bus, but Blonde is just a movie that fundamentally just really bothered me on a lot of levels. Um, and, but she was good in it, and she got nominated for that, so good for her. Uh, another good performance in a bad movie. Yeah, I think that Best Actress category is really, like, it's so varied this year as well. Mm-hmm. So I think the the obvious comp- like race at the moment is Michelle Yeoh for Everything Ever All at Once and Kate Blanchett for Tar. But yeah, like suddenly out of nowhere, and this this literally happened in the last like week or two. Um, is Andrea Rasborough got nominated for for two Leslie, which I'll be honest, I don't think anyone knows about. I don't think anyone's seen. I th- honestly, I I think that a lot of Academy voters were like, well, all these famous people are tweeting, all her famous friends are tweeting, like to you know, nominate her. So I guess we will. Um, but you know, it's a shame that Viola got snubbed for it uh, because I think. That I mean, Woman King. I I was more mixed on. I did enjoy it, but uh, Viola Davis is always so good, and she is she's so good in the Woman King. Um, I I yeah, I, I've seen Andrea Riseborough in um, Possessor. Uh, I thought she was very good in that. So she's obviously a very talented actress. Um, it just kind of it's 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 kind of like nice to see like oh this is you know I know she just gets her famous friends to put the the thumb on the the scale or whatever, but in this era of like, you've got to pay and finance and do all these, you know, uh, circuits and put out the ads and the trades. It was, it was more of a grassroots, just like, Hey, my, my famous friends would like me to get nominated. So, you know, good for her for that. Yeah. It's kind of fun to see, but it is possible to do it a different way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, you brought up the, the best point actress category with Angela Bassett. And I do, I think her performance in that is incredible. But also, I think all the other uh, nominees in that category are really strong. Oddly enough, I feel like Jamie Lee Curtis is probably the weakest of that category. Yeah, it's weird because she's really good, but yeah, she's kind of the odd one out. Yeah, because the others feel like really strong and memorable performances. And hers, yeah, I, maybe she's getting in because of her name a little bit in terms of, yeah, we, you know, it's Jamie Lee Curtis. It's nice to be able to like, throw her throw her nomination be happy for her yeah and i also i think uh i like i said i haven't seen the whale but uh hong chow i think part of the reason she got nominated is because she was not only good in that but she was so good in the menu like she's incredible in the menu but that's not a that's not really an academy award movie so like okay we'll we'll give her the the oscar for this one not say she's not good in both of them but i think it's one of those things where it's like oh well we'll, we'll nominate her for this one because this is more for a prestige kind of movie yeah i think that does happen a few times in the past as well where people are like man they've had a great year like yeah. but i can't nominate this one because it's, it doesn't fit the category too well so we'll, we'll throw them like their oscar pre- prestige type uh, movie role um, the other category for me, best supporting actor. Uh, I think it's all sewn up at this point, isn't it? Yeah, this this is going to be a, a 
I think that yeah, Ki Huquan is is really got this one. You know, I mean, the other the other actors obviously you've got the two supporting roles from Banshees. Um, by Brian Tyree Henry, it's kind of a you know kind of was a dark horse showing up, and then Judd Hirsch has that one really memorable scene in the Fable ones. But yeah, he really deserves it. Like he he's so good in this, and he's had such a you know this is obviously it's been covered a lot, but his first film in you know decades uh despite him actually being in the film industry for that whole time he just kind of ended up behind the camera to so yeah to to see his story and just the fact that it is genuinely an incredible performance like nobody's ever really deserved it more i feel like i think it's just really uh, before now i've always thought it was quite an underappreciated performance as well like obviously a lot of the claims early on we're going for Michelle Yeoh and it's so nice to see um Key get that uh recognition and because it's a hard role to play because he he's playing two roles at once basically yeah he does like he does even and even more than it because he'll like do those these different roles but then he'll also have like you'll slip into like this other dimension where he has to kind of like emulate in the mood for love and you know the the performance from that and you're like wow that's such an iconic performance in that film and he really does a good job emulating and then he's and he's kind of like the goofier women and then he's the more serious women and he's just really and it's different characters but they're all have the same core and you're like that is impressive to be able to do that mm. is there any other films from this award season that have really like st- stood out to you or any other nominations along this way um, I think other than uh, I was looking at uh, best animated feature, um, this is a really interesting category because I think this year was a was a very strong year for animation. Um, and I'll just go through the nominees real quick. You had Pinocchio, the Del Toro one, the good one, not the Zemeckis uh, monstrosity. Uh, Turning Red, Pixar film that was very good. Uh, the Sea Beast, a kind of underseen Netflix film. Uh, Puss in Boots, which is kind of just making a lot of money at the box office. And then uh, it was one of my 10 favorite movies. The last one, Marcel, the shell with shoes on. Um, fortunately, since it was such a good year, that means that a few films that I really enjoyed, like Wendell and wild Henry Selleck's first film in well, it's been actually, so yeah, since 2009, same, same gap between avatar movies um, since he made Coraline uh, his comeback. But yeah, this is a lot of really good movies. So I'm really curious to see what happens in that court category. Yeah. That one's going to be, really like competitive because something like puss in boots has that sort of benefit of that it is like popular now like it is mm-hmm. doing really well like it has consistently been hitting above 10 million at the box office each week yeah yeah and then uh another category that i just wanted to mention and what i am uh rooting for is fire of love which was uh an absolutely stunning documentary uh is nominated for best documentary feature film i'm really glad it got the nomination and i hope it wins uh i do think that it is also getting a bump because it's on disney plus i think some of these films that are more available uh will be getting these bumps you know i think that is going to help some of maybe even the best picture nominees you have uh you know everything everywhere is on hbo max and something like fablemans isn't streaming anywhere so i wonder how that's gonna affect things because i do think that will make a little bit of a difference yeah, for sure. And I think it's similar. I, I I don't know if it's the same for for you in America, but Banishes of Inishirin is available now to to stream. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Same thing. It's here. so it's so good to be able to see some of these films 
at this point. I remember like four or five years ago, it all, especially for the UK, we get every single Best Picture nominee so late in the game. Sometimes the week after the after the winners announced. Yeah, no, uh, it's, it's 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 kind of the same thing here. Like, I'm gonna probably go see Women Talking this week because um, even being in a market that is close to LA, it, we still don't. And I worth you, I do get a lot of things. I'm we're just now getting Women Talking crazy it's sort of wild but then you think something like like avatar only came out in december and at that point it was getting nominated for things before it even been released (laughs) yeah yeah exactly yeah it's it's weird yeah like the whole the logistics of all this stuff um and like i think of something like uh a film that was also i had it in my top 10 of the year um which was uh petite mama uh which is a film that was released in 2021 in France, but we did not get it in America until March of 2022, which is why I included it in my 22 rankings, but it was not even eligible for this year's Oscars. It was eligible for the 2021 Oscars, and it did not get the nomination for Best Foreign Film. Um, so yeah, stuff like that is always really weird too. So overall, is there... I, let's let's just uh, go on the Best Picture category one final time. Hmm. What do you think is going to be the winner on the night? I think it's going to be Banshees. That that is what I'm leaning towards. Um, that is my personal favorite of of the year. You know, um, you know, no offense to Avatar, too, but <laughs> I, I really, really dug Banshees, and I think that it has a lot of steam behind it. Um, you know, I think it, it it's it is just like I said that really razor's edge race between everything everywhere. Um, I think it's going to be one of those years like you know, 2017 with La La Land and Moonlight, where we might not know until it's announced. And in that case, we didn't even know until after it was announced. Um, but yeah, it's 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 going to be close. But my my pick is the Banshee Simon and Sharon. Oh, you know what? I'll sit on the everything everywhere all at once side of the fence instead. All right, all right. <laughs> for me, those two are in my top five. They're, they are both incredible films it, for completely opposite reasons in a way. Yeah. Uh, but they're, they're just so incredible and it's so amazing to see so many great films this year get uh, nominated and yeah great performances as well i saw that it was 16 first time acting nominees which is yeah an incredible number so cool yeah. to see and, and i will say it was a really great year for films um not just because everything was kind of held back and the big budget stuff was but because i think we're kind of at peak streaming where studios are like still putting a lot of money into streaming that i don't think they will continue to in in the years future but you're still getting stuff like yeah they're just going to release a predator movie straight to hulu and they're going to release like all like all these pixar movies straight to disney plus um so you are getting the best of both worlds and it that has helped make it such an incredible year and um you said those were in your top five honestly those two those top two nominees they're in my top two those were my two favorite <laughs> films of the year so i'm i'm really happy either way uh you know even if i'm wrong i'm like all right well still one of my two favorite films got nominated or one best picture so I'll, I'll be i'll be happy as a clam honestly it it does read similar to that year with la la land and moonlight those were my top two of that year i believe and i was happy either way and it and the, all the drama that occurred then it was yeah. I, I, I remember because obviously I'm watching it it was like 4am my side by the time that was being announced and I turned it off as it was announced because I was like <laughs> oh all done for the night 
Um, and then someone said, you got to turn it back on because <laughs> of what happened. Yeah. One of the, because I was working, I got off and like turned it on right at, as Best Picture was being announced. And I saw it happen. And I was like, this is insanity. Like this, this it was so, yeah. So yeah, <laughs> it's always fun when you have a competitive year where you, you're kind of not sure where it's going to go. I feel like we're going to have a, a bit of a quieter year, I hope, for for everyone involved uh, after last year's controversy. Yeah, there's there's no there's no getting it wrong on stage. There's no there's no slaps. There's none of that. <laughs> so hopefully it's much more low key and even keel this year. The question is, how likely is it that someone comes dressed out as a Navi as Ben Stiller did back oh, in uh, back God. in 2010? I forgot about that. That was such an iconic moment. Oh my gosh, I love Ben Stiller. It's one of like the the first gifts that I see come up whenever I'm on uh, <laughs> online. I'll see if I search for Avatar. It's always one of the first gifts. Oh man, yeah, he he's a comic genius. Honestly, I I, I love Ben Stiller. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been such a pleasure having you on to talk all about this. And yeah, where's the best pe- place for people to find you? Yeah, thank you. Uh, I've had a blast being on. Um, if anybody out there has enjoyed. Uh, here are my thoughts here on Avatar and the Oscars and all that. I do uh, a podcast called Underrated. It's also a film podcast where, as you might guess, uh, we talk about underrated films, um, anything that's under the radar or underappreciated. Uh, this last one that we just covered was, uh, it's another technical marvel, um, and it was actually an unfinished film, Richard Williams' The Thief and the Cobbler. We kind of break that down um, and talk about how it eventually did get released and how it was... Uh, edited but uh that was a lot of fun um so you can any anywhere you listen to podcasts check out underrated uh look up undercast company that's the name of the kind of uh collective of me and my friends uh that we release podcasts under uh or you can find me just on places like medium uh by looking up Derek mcduff um and um instagram all all those places thank you very much for joining us and thank you all for listening hope you have a lovely time goodbye Thank you for listening. This week's episode is dedicated to our patrons, Eric Scrock and Patrick Regal. To become a patron, visit www.patreon.com slash avatarpod. <laughs>